Welcome to another episode of the Giant Take Podcast. I am Josh and I am joined by my co-host Alex. We are coming to you talking more NFL draft, New York Giants news, uh, but more, a lot of New York Giants draft stuff. Um, And we just wrapped up a very, very, very fun interview um, for you to listen to in a little bit. But for right now, one thing at a time, right? We got to take it one step at a time. Alex, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking, Josh. How are you doing? Right back at you. Wait, did you just did you say how I'm? Did you ask? Yes, how I'm I just doing? asked. I just asked. Is that the asked. first? Is that like the third time in Giant Take history of 161 episodes that you've asked that? Yeah. You know what's funny? The other day, someone mentioned this, but I had never noticed it before. Whenever I say "asked," it sounds like I I just forget the K. <laughs> yeah, I just realized that too. Yeah, someone brought it up. I'm like, oh my god. That, that is pretty crazy. But yeah, anyway, Trevor, <laughs> Trevor Sigma uh, from PFF podcaster, host reporter, um, does, all, does all of the above, basically, as uh, we get into in the interview. Wrapped up an interview with him again, uh, and we'll send it to the, that in a little bit. But just wanted to get through some Giants news, and we, ch- we don't have a lot, so you don't have to hear our voices only um, for much longer. But let's start out with, of course, what happens on the days we release our episodes. It just happens to be the case, right? All the time. The day we released our new ep- or our last episode with Shane P. Hallam, which you can check out, episode 160 of the podcast, and the interview actually is on the Giant Take YouTube channel if you want to check that uh, the visual out visual ep- interview out, uh, you can check it on the YouTube channel. Anyway, on the day we released that episode, as Alex was shaking his head in disgust about his co-host, the Patriots signed safety Jabril Peppers to a one-year up to five million dollar deal. Uh, where when it comes to the specifics on the deal, it's a three hundred thousand dollars signing bonus. The base salary is one point oh five million guaranteed. Uh, roster bonus of four hundred twenty five thousand, twenty five thousand per game. The workout bonus two hundred twenty five thousand dollars, and then the incentives three million again, totaling up to up to five million dollars for Peppers, which basically means we, we know what it means. He's not going to be coming back to the New York Giants. He's going to reunite with Joe Judge in New England. Thoughts on this? I think it's a good move for Peppers. I think he'll fit well in that defense. Uh, You know, decent-ish contract for him. He's got a load of incentives, so that's good for him. But I think he's going to be, you know, maybe slow off his injury to start with. But I think he'll end up being a good player with the Patriots. And he really fits what they're looking to do, uh, you know, at the back end, at safety. Uh, You know, could come in, play a little bit of linebacker. So I think he brings them the versatility that they always like. Uh, and wish him the best. Definitely was a class act giant. And the NFL, what what is the exact name of this, Alex? The NFL rule meetings or just the NFL meetings? I don't know how they properly call it, but they had meetings. They talked about rules. They changed a bit of rules, overtime rules. Uh, you had Joe Shane there. You had Brian Dable there. And what Dable said in his press conference with the media said, quote, that the Giants are looking to add an offensive tackle in this year's NFL draft. Uh, if that's a surprise to you, then you've been living under a rock and haven't been listening to the Giant Take podcast. So catch up, uh, because you know they they've they've um, been looking at an offensive tackle for a long, long time, and the amount of faces that Alex just made because of me talking in the last forty seconds had to have been at least five. Let's go on to the next piece of news here, which is more than five dates, and that is the Giants offseason workout dates. They have come out publicly, uh, and it's exciting stuff because we're going to have some football. Well, when you're listening to this, hopefully on the day you're listening on Monday. Uh, The first day is April 4th, 
And then the volunteer mini camp is uh, from April 19th to April 21st. Rookie camp is May 13th through the 15th. And then OTAs, the off-season workouts, uh, May 16th and 17th, the 19th, 23rd through 24th, 26th, 31st, and June 3rd for that. Alex, you can take over the rest of the dates. All right. And then mandatory mini camp, that'll be from June 7th to June 9th. Uh, you literally left me one date, Josh. I don't know what you're talking about here. Uh, you're like, go over the rest of the dates. Also, it being just June 7th to June 9th. I meant to split it evenly. Okay. It just didn't work <laughs> out of my head. It didn't worked out of my head, but not out of my mouth. Okay. All right. All right. Fine. Anyway, uh, a couple more things here. Will Hernandez signed a one year, $1.2 million deal with the Cardinals. So he's goner. He's a goner. Bye-bye. Will Hernandez. Disappointment, obviously, second round pick under Dave Gettleman didn't work out. We're over it. We're moving on. The Shane trains here. We're moving. Uh, I, I'm not going to get stuck in the past of Will Hernandez and his terrible blocking. And finally, uh, to some positive, negative, well, really negative news. Uh, following free agency, the New York Giants had the least cap space in the NFL. I believe it's just over $1 million, uh now with the updated uh, NFL PA database. I saw Dan Duggan tweet that out. So I'm going off that. That was probably like 20 hours ago. So hopefully it hasn't changed since then. Giants need to free up 15 and a half or 14 and a half million dollars before the draft because the draft will Super cost easy. Them yeah, no biggie. Approximately 16 million. Uh, and obviously we only have a million and a half. So 14 and a half more will be necessary. Trading or cutting James Bradbury would save you about 13. And then you'd still need uh, a little bit more possibly in a restructure of a Leonard Williams, a Kenny Galladay, maybe an Adoree Jackson. I think that's who you'd be looking at there. Uh, and then obviously you could maybe trade Saquon Barkley, but as we have all kind of come to accept at this point, it, that's unlikely to happen. But that is something that's going to have to happen before April 28th, or at least before uh, week one, because uh, I believe the cap doesn't actually, like it, you can be under the cap uh, earlier or later but after the draft, oh my God, I can't speak, but uh, we'll, so we'll probably get some news before the draft would be my guess because they're going to trade James Bradbury. They're going to want some compensation in this year's draft. So what you're basically indirectly indirectly telling me, Alex, is that the James Bradbury will not be on the New York Giants roster in about 30 days. Yes, that's what I was trying to say in a whole bunch of mumbled jumbled words. Right. So Alex's prediction, no James Bradbury on the New York Giants, you know, in 30 days from now or less depending on when they want to trade him, if they want to trade him. The Chiefs are interested. We'll have to wait and see about that. They just keep on having somehow having enough cap room to sign all of these guys. But I guess Tyree Kill not being on the team anymore has to do with that as well. Uh, but anyway, with that, I think we got through everything. Just a few things before we send it to the interview. We're not done just yet. Super exciting interview coming up. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you want to listen. You can follow us on Twitter and TikTok at the Giant Take Pod on Instagram and Facebook, The Giant Take Podcast. Alex is on Twitter, at anorian 23 I'm on Twitter, at JoshShola29. You can find most, if not all of that info uh, uh, in the podcast notes or description. For right now, thanks so much for listening. Enjoy the interview. We are back now with a very special guest, host, reporter, and podcaster for PFF, Trevor Sikama. How's it going, man? It is going good, guys. We've got 
couple of weeks left until the NFL draft. So I'm very excited. I know you guys are as well, but it's great to be with you guys. Appreciate you having me on the podcast. Yeah, we're, we're super excited to have you on. I saw on your uh, NFL Stock Exchange podcast, you were having on a few of the guys that we've talked to before as well, like John Schmelk, Pat Leonard, um, and those guys. So it's super cool to see kind of the community coming together there uh, and doing some stuff and collaborating. Super cool thing you guys got going on there as well with like the guests coming on to help make the picks for the mock draft. So uh, super fun stuff. Yeah, appreciate it. It's it's a lot of fun. It's a great exercise. Uh, myself and uh, my old co-host, Ben Solak, when we were doing Locked on NFL Draft, we kind of came up with this exercise a couple of years ago. And I think it's a really cool, you know, not to like toot our own horn or anything, but I think it's a really cool exercise to get to hear from people who cover all of these teams really in-depthly. Like I always say, me and Connor know these prospects inside and out. Like we can tell you what this guy is good at different teams that he might be able to fit in with and things like that. But when it comes to predicting exactly where these players are going to go or what these teams are going to do, we won't know that as much as the people who are, you know, it's their whole careers. It's their jobs to follow these teams and find out what they like and the, the guys that they're going to be honing in on. So it's a really great resource selfishly for us as well to be able to predict the first round a little bit better, but we're hoping that it's, it's great for all the teams as audience too. So the giants, uh, they have, two picks in the top 10. So it's been fun already getting the the two voices of those guys in there. Yeah, it certainly has been. And it's a big draft for the giants with two picks in the top 10, five picks in the top hundred, top 81, I believe. So certainly big, obviously new management, new front office coming in. And it's going to be really critical how we turn this franchise around. Cause I'm sure, as you know, we haven't been doing so on the past few years, you know, crazy, but yeah, need to turn this team around. Before we get into some of the draft stuff, wanted to ask you a couple of questions about yourself and how you got into, you know, working for PFF, working in the industry. So how did you really start getting into the world of sports journalism, podcasting and, you know, other things that you do? Obviously, you do a lot of things. Well, I uh, I do do a lot of things. You're right. I, I wear many hats, um, including the one that's currently on my head. Uh, no, so I actually, I, so I graduated from the University of Florida. Um, but before I went to Florida, I went to a smaller uh, private school uh, within the state of Florida in Lakeland, actually called Southeastern University. And I went there thinking that I was going to be a business major. My dad had a small business back in the town that I grew up in. And I thought that, okay, like maybe I'll take it over when he retires. And that's what I want to do. Took business classes, absolutely hated them. Like I was so bored. I just had no passion for it. I had no desire to do it, which uh, is kind of bad advice because I would actually tell everybody growing up that they should at least take a couple of business classes and understand how finances work and everything like that. But while I was kind of searching for something that I wanted to do after that, I ended up taking a sports radio class. Actually, it was just a plain old radio class. And I took it with a good friend of mine. And part of what we had to do was get an hour long show on the campus radio station twice a week. We both love sports. And so I said, Hey, let's do, let's make it like a sports talk show. That'll be fun. And we did. And I was just immediately hooked. I mean, the topics, you know, the, the production uh, coming up with things to say, having the structure of the show, getting to have these back and forth about everything that was going on in sports. It was so captivating me as something that I loved a lot. And, you know, that maybe transfer to the university of Florida, find a bigger broadcast program, ended up graduating with a telecommunications degree in sports broadcasting and um, ended up doing that there a couple of years of, Working freelance after I graduated college, just writing for a lot of different places, doing podcasts, just a lot of stuff like what you guys are doing right now, where it just kind of like kept my passion, kept my energy, but it also kept me sharp and it kept me uh, continuing to improve at what I was doing. Eventually, down uh, just south of Tampa, Florida, ended up getting a job as a beat reporter covering the team 
which is kind of a dream come true. Uh, you know, getting to cover a, t- a team that was really my hometown team growing up. I'm not from the city of Tampa, but from just south of it. So that was my hometown team growing up. And that was honestly my first job in the business. And so from there, I've, I've worked at the Draft Network as well. And starting this past September, was able to come on full-time at PFF, which has been uh, just a dream as well, getting to work with so many great, fantastic people. So that's a little bit of my journey. And it wasn't uh, something that I always thought that I was going to do, but it's something that here and now I can't imagine doing anything else. Yeah. And congratulations. I mean, I know you've been with the company for a little bit now, a couple of months or more than that, but um, you know, congrats to you. And you, you've kind of been able to reach that top point um, and it's not over yet. So uh, congrats, but yeah. Um, I wanted to ask because you mentioned it already, you brought it up Tampa Bay uh, sort of where you're from, obviously the, the, the username at Tampa Bay Trey, yeah. <laughs> what is, it's funny because like some people say, oh, it's my job covering this team. So I can't really root for them. How does that work in your mind working in the NFL industry? Are you still able to say, guys, listen, I'm a Bucks fan. Like it's, it just, it is what it is. You're going to have to deal with it. Or yeah, do you say like, like, how does that go? Yeah, no, it's a very interesting question. I didn't mean to cut you off there. And I, I love when people ask it because, you know, I've always kind of had a uh, different kind of perspective because, you know, uh, going through, college classes at the University of Florida. They tell you you have to be objective, right? Uh, there was an ESPN station that was right on campus that was like a like a broadcast radio station that we all kind of worked for. And through that station, we all got to cover various beats. You know, like I my first beat that I covered was uh, Florida women's volleyball. And so like I covered that team and that beat in that season. And, you know, there are other people who will cover men's basketball or football or tennis or whatever it is. And you just do that to kind of hone your skills, what it's like to cover a team, consistently writing about things, you know, doing radio spots, all that kinds of stuff. So, you know, it's interesting because we're all students at the University of Florida while we are doing that. We obviously want Florida to win, right? I mean, like we're we're, we're students there. We're fans of that university. And so, you know, it's funny because they tell you all the time, like, hey, you have to cover this team, but you have to be objective. Like you cannot be a fan of the teams that you cover. And I do think that there is some validity in that. You have to have a strong sense of professionalism about what you do to where where you grew up, what school you go to, whatever it is, does not hold you back from doing your job the way that it needs to be done. And a lot of the times that is coming at things from an objective point of view, right? You, you cannot be this, in, you know, eternal optimist about things. It's not like, Hey, you know, we're like, we're rooting for this team. And like, this guy's making the best decision because we are always going to root for our team. And like, no, 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 that's not doing the job. That is not you being a journalist. You have to be objective. You have to be able to be critical about what's going on, see things through your own eyes and be honest with how you report on the team. Now, I don't cover the Buccaneers specifically anymore. I cover the league as a whole, but I'm also an analyst. So I get to have a little bit of a different flavor on it. So, you know, me obviously being somebody who is from Tampa and someone who likes to see Tampa sports do very well, that's okay in my spot. But I also think that even for the people who might be beat reporters, who might cover a team, who might have to have a little bit more of that objective professionalism in what they do. I've always been of the mindset that we all still got into sports for a reason, right? I mean, like, no matter where you're from, you grew up having a favorite team. 
you know, you, you grew up rooting for a team. You grew up to like, and that part of yourself doesn't die. I mean, the reason why you would be so good at your job covering the team is because you have a passion for it. It's because you love it. It's because it's almost kind of part of who you are. Now, you, there's, a, it, there's an interesting balance, and that's the point of the question, and that's kind of where I'm going with the answer, is that you really have to have this balance. But for everybody out there who tells you, no, like you, like you, 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 you can't be at all, you can't have any kind of emotion or feeling towards this team or anything like that, I just think that's not realistic. We are all sports fans at heart. That's why we got into this business. That part of us is still going to exist. And that part of us isn't just going to go away when you cover teams. In fact, some of the best work that you do covering teams might come from the root of that passion that you have of how you got into it. So that's why I always tell people, you never want to totally let that part of you die because that is where a lot of your passion comes from. But at the same time, you got to understand where you need to be a professional. If you are covering a single team as a beat reporter, yes, you have to have a little bit more objectivity in what you do. But, you know, like me, I cover the, the league more as a analyst, somebody who has an, is allowed to kind of have an opinion. You know, sometimes journalists are all about facts. You know, you're not writing an opinion column. You're just a reporter. So it all kind of just depends what your job is. But no matter what it is, I always tell people, don't let that part of yourself that made you fall in love with sports, don't put that to the side. Don't lock that in the closet. Don't let that die. Because that's often where the best part of your work is going to come to. It's just a matter of balancing. Yeah, I mean... It would be difficult. Like, you know, I was thinking about it. Imagine I was working for the Eagles or something like that. That would be, you know, that'd be tough. But, uh, you know, I guess you'd have to put it aside if that's really what your dream is. Moving to the draft. Um, so the QBs have kind of been the hot topic, I guess, because people are some people, you know, don't rate them very highly at all. Some people do. And one name who I feel like's kind of been forgotten, um, obviously he didn't have a great year last year, Sam Howell. Um, what do you see in him? Where do you think he's going to go? Uh, you know, where, what are your thoughts on him as a prospect as well? Uh, and, you know, are there quarterbacks you like better quarterbacks that you think uh, maybe will go higher than people expect? But uh, I guess first on Sam Howell. Yeah, no, I, I, I like Sam Howell. Sam Howell brings a lot of really nice things to the table. You know, in my final QB rankings, which I actually finished not too long ago, he came in as my QB three in this class. And when you look at his journey, I think that he has a very unique journey throughout college football, where he was a true freshman starter day one for UNC. And that is really tough to do. And the most difficult part is actually commanding that locker room, because you guys know when you're a quarterback, you come with a automatic position of leadership. You know, whether you're the youngest one on the team or the oldest one on the team, people look to the quarterback. That is just what happens. It just naturally comes with being the QB. And so when you were a true freshman, 18 year old who was playing high school football just a couple of months ago, and now you come in and, you know, there's young men, almost fully grown men, 21, 22, 23, 24 years old on this roster. And they're looking to you to be the leader or people are looking at you and what you say as a reflection of them and the rest of the team. That's tough to do. And yet Sam was able to do that in his freshman year, gain the respect of his players around him in a very short period of time, be that kind of young leader. And not to say he was perfect with it, but I do think that that is something that really stands out in his scouting report. You go to that second season and with guys like Deami Brown and Daz Newsom, Javante Williams, Michael Carter, all those guys around him, he put on a show and he was letting the ball fly. He was playing with a lot of confidence and you love that this past year, 
didn't have any of those weapons. All four of those guys were gone to the NFL. And anytime that's the case, you, you know, there's going to be a major step back. And, you know, I thought the offense was tougher for him to really stand out because it wasn't as much about those deep shots down the field that Sam is accustomed to. It was a lot more shorter things, RPOs, one read, take off and run kind of stuff just to keep the offense moving because they didn't have those playmakers there. And so, you know, he is an evaluation where you really have to look at all three years. Sometimes you can go back on the tape and look at, okay, what a guy did in probably just this past year, see what he is now as a player. But for Sam, you got to go a little bit back further. You got to understand the background. And I think he brings a lot of nice things to the table. I'm not sure that he has the elite arm to be that kind of a constant deep pass quarterback in the NFL, but I like his mentality. And if he learns to, of course, like read defense a little bit better, anticipate, recognize things in the pre-snap. I think he is somebody that we saw in his sophomore year can have a lot of confidence. It can be a good starter at the NFL level. Going from someone who's kind of lower uh, on the rankings in their position to someone who's probably the number one guy, or at least one of the number two or number one guy, uh, Ahmad Sauce Gardner, one of the top cornerbacks in this NFL draft class. Could he be there at five or seven for the Giants? Maybe this other New York team that we don't like to speak of, the Jets on this podcast, we don't talk about them, but they do also play in MetLife Stadium. Could they also be looking to draft a cornerback like Gardner? Yeah, it's uh, it's good that you bring him up here on a Giants podcast because I know the Giants like Sauce Garner a lot and for good reason, right? I mean, like interesting combination of size and speed and ability. I mean, you look at him and he's he's over the six foot two, six foot three height. You know, he's got the length to him. Ran a sub four five, which really normally does not happen with guys who have that long of legs and. Uh, it's just very unique that you get at somebody with that blend of athleticism who also then has the success on tape. Um, you know, at PFF, we're charting every single player, every single play, every single game. And, and he didn't give up a single touchdown in man coverage his entire career at Cincinnati, entire career, didn't give up one. So that's not to say that'll always be the case in the NFL, but, you know, you just talk about the success that he is able to have even while learning uh, and getting better throughout his years of college. And so, you know, given the fact that he has so many of those unique things that he brings to the table, it's hard for me to imagine that he's going to get out of the top 10. But I do think that a reason why I would think that would be difficult is because of the Giants, because I think that they are really eyeing him with the number five, with the number seven overall pick. I think that that is very realistic for him to be high on their board and high in their priority list there. So, you know, I, I the Jets could certainly use a corner. I'd be very shocked if they take a corner at four, just given the fact that the strength of this draft class at the very top is through the trenches. The Jets still need help in the trenches. There's going to be a really good pass rusher. There's going to be a really good offensive lineman still available for them at number four. It would just very much surprise me if they took a corner at four, because that's also something that Joe Douglas just hasn't done. Like the Jets just don't really do that. So uh, I, I, I don't think, I don't think the Jets are a real big threat to take him. I mean, Houston might be, uh, but that's again, like, I, I don't, I don't know if I see him going number three overall. I'll just say, I think there's a pretty good chance. The giants are going to have a chance to get him if they want him. Moving on uh, to a completely different topic, kind of. Well, yeah. Uh, David Ajabo. <laughs> I was like thinking, how can I transition this? You know what? I'm just going <laughs> to fully just go for it. Uh, Torres Achilles, as we know at his pro day, um, it was a big talking point about the scouts and the trainers not rushing to him. Uh, but that would probably put him down in draft boards. Some, some things that I've talked about with Alex and I want him to chime in here because let me know if I'm saying this right from what I've, I've brought up to Alex 
and to our listeners is that mm-hmm. or watchers, whatever, um, is that a Jabo could fall to the second round. It's a possibility. And then Alex, you say, no, 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 you're wrong. Completely wrong. Nope. No way. He could even still be an option at seven. That's what you said to me when we were preparing for this. Am I right or am I wrong? I see it very similar to who was it last year? Caleb Farley, right? That corner out of Virginia Tech, I want to say. I think Mm -hmm. it's similar. He had that really bad injury as well. I think he, you know, a lot of people projected him to go closer to top 10 almost. But I think he ended up going, what, like 27 or 20 something in the 20s. That that's kind of what I see for Jabo. I think he was probably going to go in the early teens. Now he's probably going to go in the mid to late 20s. But I really like David Ajabo. Trevor, please back me up on this. Is it a possibility that a Jabo can go in the second round? Uh, it is more possible to me that Ojabo will go in the second round than in the top 10 of this draft. Uh, or I would probably even say top 15 in this draft. I don't think Alex is completely wrong comparing it to Caleb Farley's situation where this is a guy who was a top 15 talent who ended up going somewhere in the 20s. I think that still could be the case for Ojabo because – you know, here's here's where things get interesting with Ojabo, and I actually um, I just recently wrote something about this as the Giants being potentially a team to make this happen. Is when you get picked in the first round, you get that extra fifth year option on the contract. That's really really important with a player like David Ojabo, who already you thought were, you were going to have a learning curve with him, right? He hasn't been playing pass rusher that long. You know, he's still figuring it out. Actually, his pass rush is better than what a lot of his base run defense traits are. So you knew that he was going to kind of be a work in progress anyways, but he's got great traits and how he was able to explode in production this year. You absolutely love. Now he has the injury as well. You figure he's probably only going to be able to play a handful of games at the back end of this season. You need that fifth year. If So if you were a team considering David Ojabo in, I'll say, the first 12 picks of the second round, you better be thinking about what it takes to move up in the back end of the first round, say, with a team like the Bengals at 31 or the Lions at 32, these teams that would be willing to move out of the first round because then you could possibly move up for Ojabo and get that fifth extra year on his contract. So uh, where I do think that it's more realistic that he goes in the second round than in the top 15 anymore, I would be surprised if Ojabo went outside the first round simply because it would make too much sense for a team who is interested in him to not want to get that fifth year on his contract. You know, in some senses, it's kind of unfortunate that the Giants have two picks in the top 10 in this particular draft because this draft is so deep. Usually drafts are more front heavy than this. This one's not exactly front heavy, maybe besides Hutchinson, you know, Kyle Hamilton, Thibodeau. I don't know. There's not like too many very, very high quality. Obviously, you got Evan Neal, Aquanu, those kinds of guys. But and then you see like Trayvon Walker flying up draft boards when like you because you were yeah. maybe going to say his name, Alex. I don't know. But then it's also no, he's more of an upside guy that like if you pick him, you hope that he develops into a great player. And that's something like you were saying. It's not really that top heavy. I, I think he goes top three. That's just my guess. I don't think he gets past the Jets. That's kind of my guess for Trayvon Walker. Do you have a a prediction for Trayvon Walker and like, what do you think about him? Yeah, certainly all the momentum seems like he's going to be a top three pick. I think top five, probably at minimum, right? It feels like it would be very difficult for him to get past both the Jets and the Giants at four and five. So I've got to think that top five is probably right there for him because I don't think he goes number one overall. I think that that's going to be Aiden Hutchinson, but 
I think he's in contention to go number two to the Lions, number three to the Texans, and then those two teams from New York that I named right there. So with all four spots, potential landing spots for Trayvon Walker, I think it makes sense to bet on him being a top five pick. I think that's pretty crazy. Um, You know, when I was watching Trayvon Walker, I gave him an early second round grade on film. And I was like, okay, this is somebody who, you know, obviously I knew the athletic test, he was going to blow him out of the water. And it's like, okay, I gave him an early second round grade on film. But with the athletic testing, you know that he's probably going to go like first round. So like back into the first round, I'd have been totally cool with that. Now we're talking about top five and it's like, man, we're treating Trayvon Walker like we treated Jadavian Clown. Because if you remember Clowney coming out of South Carolina, he wasn't this refined pass rusher. You know, he was just such a incredible athletic player that everybody just accepted it as and understood like, yeah, you can't pass on a guy who is this rare athletically. And Trayvon Walker was bigger, longer, faster than Jadavian Clowney. So if we did that with Clowney for him to go number one overall, I've got to think that he's not getting out of the top five because it's kind of the same situation where it's not like he's this super refined pass rusher. Neither was Clowney and shoot. We've seen him in the NFL now. It's not like Clowney's this sack master. You know, most of his sack production came on a really stacked defensive line in Houston. And that's not to say he was a bad player. I'm, I'm not saying that at all. But like, is Trayvon somebody who is going to be this anchor, 100% difference maker, double digit sack kind of a player that you want to draft in the top five? Probably not. But as Alex brought up, this class is a little different. So it's just not as refined with the high ceiling town at the top. So I think you're going to see a lot of teams take those big swings for the fences, even though there's some risk involved. And obviously if you're an NFL coach, you're an NFL GM, you didn't make it to where you are by, you know, playing it safe all the time. You, you, you trust yourself to be able to develop talent. And I guess that's kind of what you see in Trayvon Walker guys like a Jabo, you know, even guys maybe like, you know, uh, Derek Stingley Jr., right? Because we only saw one year of productive film for him. So maybe that's someone also that they see in that way. I want to talk about another defensive back, kind of a guy I've seen mocked to the Giants a few times in the second round, uh, Jalen Petrie out of Baylor. There's kind of been talks whether he's more of a safety or a corner. What's your take on him as a player and you know where he best fits in the NFL? Yeah, so you know for the Giants, it's interesting because with Wink there now, he he's not a defensive coordinator who typically likes that like corner safety versatility. Like normally he likes guys who are more like, this is a safety. Like we are playing this guy at safety. His traits are clearly best at safety. And Petrie is an interesting case because he can do a little bit of both, right? He played safety at Baylor, but we saw him at the senior bowl. He's playing plenty in the slot as well. He was one of the better secondary players at playing in man coverage, not just against tight ends, but against wide receivers too. So we know that he's kind of got that like hybrid ability to him, which is sort of reminiscent with Julian Love, although he was more of like an outside corner, less than like a slot corner, kind of a safety hybrid. So I, I'm just, I think in, in theory, certainly you look at this player who is just a damn good secondary player and you go, okay, sure. If the giants have not addressed this yet and he's on the board, maybe that'll be a target for him. But I wonder if that'll be the case with Wink now as a defensive coordinator, because He just hasn't been like that with his defenses in the past. So he's a good player. Like, I think that Jalen Peters is a great player, but I I would just be curious or hesitant to say that the Giants would be super in on him unless they really view him as like, this dude's playing slot for us, which they have Darnay Holmes, they have Adore Jackson. So 
those are more slot corners to me. So I don't, I don't know. I, I like the talented player. I'm just very curious to think that he would be a fit for the giants or somebody that the giants would covet. I should say. Speaking of like second round guys, any guys on like day two, day three, some sleepers that just stand out to you. These are good players to draft on these days. I mean, there's, I think uh, obviously like a handful of players, certainly if Tyler Linderbaum makes it the second round. I mean, like, I think that he is an incredible player that I think that somebody should pick up immediately once the second round begins. Uh, I'll give a sleeper that's, I guess I'll give two guys that I've, I feel like I've been fans of for a pretty long time now when even going back to the summer before the season began. One of them's George Pickens, the wide receiver from Georgia, tore his ACL uh, before the spring game about a year ago, this exact time. So we didn't really get to see him this past year, but we saw him really dominate as a sophomore and a freshman. He brings a lot to the table when it comes to size, speed, just alpha mentality as a potential X receiver. I don't think he's going to be a first round guy, but I think he's going to make a team very happy whenever they draft him in the, in, on day two. Uh, and so I think that his talent is really high and I'm really high on that. The other one's Drake Jackson, the edge rusher from USC. I, I like Drake a lot and I'm, I'm kind of really confused why no one's talking about Drake Jackson. Like it feels like Drake Jackson has so little buzz that like he might even go like day three, which would be nuts to me because when you look at his best, if you will, if you, if somebody took Drake Jackson's tape over the last two years and said, Hey, like give me his five best plays. I'd give you five plays that would tell you this, this guy's a top 15 edge rusher. Like there's somebody that you draft in the first half of the first round. So look, okay. The strength profile isn't fully there for him yet, but if you're, if you're an odd front three, four team and you've got a stand up outside linebacker, man, I think Drake Jackson could be great for you. So I, man, I, uh, I'm, I'm very surprised that, that he's not getting nearly as much love as he needs to, but those are a handful of guys, probably early day two that I'm, I'm definitely highest on. I'm always fascinated by those players that just seem to like disappear from everyone's minds after crazy, a while. Man. There's it's always crazy. one every year this year, you know, not that he's disappeared, but Kayvon Thibodeau, right? Like people had him as the consensus number one pick for how many years now. And now he's talked about as falling out of the top 10. It's, it's crazy. And then you see guys like Trayvon Walker just rising so quickly. And then everyone's always shocked on draft nights when those guys who were kind of forgotten in a sense, end up going higher than a lot of people thought. I want to... I think, I yeah. think we get bored. I think we yeah. get bored. That's all it is. <laughs> yeah. We just get bored. So this is not a boring question. This is more of a fun hypothetical that I was thinking about. Okay. Joe Shane, Giants general manager, mm-hmm. he doesn't... He seems pretty calculated in where he's gone to visit in terms of the pro days. He's, I believe, gone to... He went to Georgia. He went to Cincinnati, saw Sauce Gardner. Took him out to dinner. I remember that. And then he went to Oregon's pro day and he doesn't usually go to pro days because really with Oregon, you're looking at they had what besides Kayvon Thibodeau, they had that safety, right? They have uh, I forget his name. Michael Wright. Yeah. Um, but besides that, you don't really have anyone else there. So he's obviously going for a particular player. It's not right. like you're going to Georgia and, you know, there's a right. tons, tons of players there. Do you see a world where the Giants possibly jump the Jets for whether it be Thibodeau or Trayvon Walker, a top tier edge rusher, maybe even a top tier tackle. Let's say they have Evan Neal way above the other two guys. Do you think there's a possibility that Joe Shane trades up? I think Joe Shane is going to have the phone lines wide open. Yes. Uh, I think that, you know, from everything that I heard with him at the combine at his presser, because I was standing next to his podium, listening to him speak, 
he really he really does have everything on the table and he sounds like they've run through a lot of scenarios that could help the team uh, whether it's trading up whether it's trading down whether it's who they're going to pick a five who they're going to pick a seven who they're going to pick in the early second round if they want to trade back up back into the first round right because they have those three extra third round picks as well that they can get creative with I really do believe that everything's going to be on the table for the Giants uh, you know and I, I don't know what it would take to move from five to three like if they really wanted to go get take cave on Thibodeau but they might be able to get away with it for not too much, you know, for a Houston team that's obviously in a major rebuild at number three. They're just looking for different kinds of draft capital. And if Houston kind of says to themselves, okay, well, we don't really care who we get between maybe three prospects, then that opens their phone lines to maybe move back. But, you know, to, just to answer your question, I think the chain is going to be plenty flexible. There are a lot of GMs who, like to hold their draft picks close to the chest and say, these are my draft picks and no one else can have them. But I don't think that Joe Shane's going to be one of those guys. I think he's going to be a very flexible GM. Yeah. I'd certainly say, I think this year for the giants, it's going to be interesting because I don't think we're going to go the way many people expect. I know a lot of people have us taking a tackle in the first round. I'm not sure if that's necessarily going to happen either. Uh, So you could definitely see some new faces, maybe some people that uh, you didn't really expect going in. I'm I'm ex- I'm expecting to be shocked if that makes any sense. Um, you know, maybe even a QB. Who knows? I mean, that, that would that would that part would shock me if they went QB <laughs> in this class. That part would shock me. But the rest of it, I think I'm on board with you. Yeah, Alex, having a team trade into the fifth pick to draft Malik Willis, that's a different question. Not them actually selecting someone like Malik Willis. But uh, anyway, go check out the NFL Stock Exchange podcast, all of his work for PFF, and follow him on Twitter at Tampa Bay Trey. Trevor, thank you so much for coming on today, man. Really appreciate it. I appreciate it, fellas. This is a lot of fun. We'll have to do this again sometime soon. Hopefully I didn't, hopefully I didn't blow it. Hopefully you guys will have me back. <laughs> but uh, I appreciate it, guys. This is great. Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason. And this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening.